come together and worship today, and sometimes it's just flying by the seat of our pants in terms of putting musicians up here and singing together, and maybe there's a way that you're used to singing a song, and then it's sung a little faster or a little slower, but it's all part of worship. It's all part of praising the Lord, and so we want you to sing along. There's times if you're not singing, if your mouth's not moving, I pray that you're praising God and and connecting with Him in your heart and in your life. And so let's bow together with a word of prayer and then we're going to sing together our worship. God, we just want to thank You that we can come into Your house. Thank You, God, that we can enter with thanksgiving. That despite what's going on in our world or in our life, the things that we can complain about, God, help us to stop to consider what we can thank You for. God, we pray for people around this world going through very, very difficult times, painful times, turbulent times. Lord, we pray for those in Ukraine that have gone through two years of war. And God, we just pray for the protection and for the safety of innocent people. And God, we just pray that there'd be an end to that conflict and strife. Lord, we pray that the enemy would be defeated. We pray, Lord, that righteousness would rule. That even in the midst of conflict and turbulence and chaos, God, that people would look to you, that you would use this for your glory. God, we pray for the situation over in Israel and in Gaza. And we pray, Lord, for wisdom for the leaders. And we pray, Lord, that the enemy would be defeated and destroyed. And God, that righteousness would reign and that people would turn to you. We pray for the protection, Lord, of the innocent. And God, that you would make a way, make a way. But most of all, that they would see Jesus and turn to him. And the same goes for us, too. We may not be in an earthly war in the same way that they're going through conflict and strife, God. But there's spiritual battles all around us. There's conflicts raging even in our own heart. And so this morning, as we come to you, I pray that we would come with an open heart, but also a contrite spirit, a, a spirit in which your Holy Spirit can work. A, 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 that the soil of our heart would be fertile ground where you could do a good work, that it would be rich soil, that we would experience life change and growth. So God, lead us in your way. May we look to you and we pray for people around the world in need. God, please be there for them. And help them through. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I've explained this, how I came across this song. Uh, uh, when I moved to Oregon about uh, 35 years ago, I couldn't find work. And uh, I, was, I had uh, three kids in diapers and one on the way. And uh, I was at my wit's end. I, I was in despair. Uh, and I was driving up 205 toward Portland, putting some resumes and stuff. And uh, this song came on the radio, and I'd never heard it before. And I just pulled over the road and broke. Because it, it speaks to his character. Who he is, Jesus.
As I look back upon this road I've traveled I see so many times He's carried me through And if there's one thing that I've learned in this life My Redeemer is faithful and true My Redeemer is faithful and true and everything he has said he will do and every morning his mercies are new My Redeemer is faithful and true My heart rejoices when I Someday I'll see my Lord face to face. My Redeemer is faithful and true. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything He has said He will do. Every morning His mercies are love for me when I lack the understanding he gives more grace to me my redeemer is faithful and true and everything he has said he will do and every morning his mercies are new
Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. If you want freedom, 
slaves first, and then we'll do what a beautiful name. <laughs> While he comes and uh, switches guitar, we had a men's retreat this last weekend with almost 30 guys uh, up at the Malala Retreat Center. We had the whole churches in the Malala area were invited. We had three different pastors from three different churches take the lead messages. And I just got to say, the power of God was so present, was so real. And the messages that each of the speakers spoke, independent of knowing what the other was going to talk about, just really built into what it means to be a man of God, to build the home, to love your wife. And it was one of those experiences you go and you're like, man, I wish I could just go and bring everybody I know back to hear this again. We're going to take those three messages. We're going to upload them online. They'll be on our Facebook page later on this week. But, you know, it's, it's just a way of saying, let's celebrate what God is doing. And what, I, what we also realize in our culture and, and, and in our own midst is that it's impossible to do everything. There are so many small groups and so many ministries and so many ways to serve. This next Saturday, for example, those who want to, 8.30, we're going to meet at the Colton Cafe, bring work gloves, bring your work shoes. We're going to go and, and do a serving project, but first we'll have coffee and conversation. But, you know, check out your bulletin, be in prayer. But if God, if, if God taps you and prompts you, don't say no. Step up, even if it means stepping out of your comfort zone. And ask God to stretch you and use you, because we're not here just to get together hear what goes on and go home. We're here to get recharged and refueled so we can go out and every day of every week serve the Lord and to grow in Him. And so, as Vern leaves us in the song, No Longer Slaves, let's just remember what Jesus has done and how He set us free 
Really, it's a freedom to serve. It's a freedom to live for Him. The Word says that uh, perfect love casts out all fear. And uh, I get scared of being in front of people. <laughs> but I love you. God loves all of us. And uh, I knew you'd say that, Dan. You the man. All right. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. No longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Love has called my name. And I've been born again your family your blood runs through my veins I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God Jesus Christ, my King. 
specific that we could pray for this morning pray for their son Brett Brett is battling cancer at kind of the worst stages and we'll just pray for him and for them as they're his primary care and that God will just help them through this process and pray for Dorothy and that's Dave's mother-in-law April's mom and uh, her health. Anything else out there? Yes. Pray for Caleb's dad. Everything he's going through. Yes, Kathy. Okay. Pray for Michelle with liver cancer. Over there, Chloe. Something got out in the middle of the road? A dog. Oh, yeah. 
Okay, they found a dog. We're going to pray he doesn't get out again. Okay. No, that's good. But they found the owner. They did find the owner, which yes. is also good. That was a good thing. Audrey. Kathy. Anybody else out there? Yes, Jan. And then I saw another hand, Shar. You said her name is Nikki? Perfect. Way in the back, yes. Katie. Devorah. If you guys would bow your heads and your hearts with me, and oh, over here, yes, Sebastian. No, that's not Sebastian. Hi. Thank you for praying that, asking us to pray for that. Brian, would you play some background music for us as we go to the Lord in prayer? And if everybody here would just bow our heads in our hearts. God, I, seeing the prayer request, I'm glad I, I kind of just had that sense from you. You know, stop and ask if anybody needs prayer. Thank you, God, that you're always open. The light is on. You saved a spot for us. You want us to come and talk to you. We can talk to you just like talking to a friend, to a brother. Thank you, Lord, the phrase Jesus, lover of my soul. You, you love us, Lord, and you love us so much. You, you gave your only begotten son for us. So we can come to you with boldness, with confidence. We don't need to go behind the veil because the curtain is torn we can go straight to the throne Lord in no specific order and I pray I don't forget anything today but you know the prayers on each person's heart even those unspoken even those deepest needs Lord for the marriage that needs to be mended for the family that needs to come together for the heart that is broken for those who are wondering where they're going to live, for, for those, Lord, who are wondering how they're going to make it through the end of the month. You're our rock. You're our fortress. You're our shelter. You're our deliverer. And Jesus is our King. He's our Savior and our Lord. God, sometimes, so many times, we don't know how we're going to make it. It doesn't seem humanly possible, God, but with you, all things are possible. All things are possible to those who believe. And we, we stand on your word and we stand, stand on your promises. Lord, knowing that this life is not all there is. In fact, it's just the beginning. Greater things are yet to come for those who know you and who have that hope of Jesus. And that's the greatest hope. And that's why we're here to proclaim the message of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins and arose from the grave. So this morning, I want to lift up the teacher who is battling cancer, God, that you would be with that teacher and help him or her through it. God, that you provide a cure 
or take it away if it be your will. See them through this time. God, we lift up Brett who is struggling and who is suffering. God, please be present in that place. Lord, I pray that you'd guide him and Dale and Rosie through these days and may he be surrounded by friends and family and loved ones to, to, to express their love and their care and to pray. We just pray for your power to be unleashed through this, God, that you may receive the glory. Lord, we pray that for this friend of Katie's, Devorah, who is on hospice, and God, please help her through this passage of life. I pray that she knows you. By some chance she doesn't, that you'd send somebody to tell her and that her heart would be open to respond. Lord, we pray for Shar's daughter, Nikki. God, that you'd help her through the situation she's going through, this medical situation. God, we pray for your healing. We pray for your mercy. We pray for your restoration and strength. God, we lift up Rochelle for the baby to be born. God, it's in the wrong position, but God, you can make wrong things right. And we pray, Lord, for a healthy delivery. God, please watch over and protect Rochelle and the baby. We look forward, Lord, to the time of celebrating this child's birth into this world. Lord, we pray for Erica Hill. I just got written down here broken up. God, please help Erica right now. Lord, we pray for your healing. We pray for your restoration. We pray for her recovery and strength. Lord, we pray for Audrey's son-in-law, Dave. Lord, you know he's kind of been on that thin line, that ragged edge. It's just not been good. We pray for his health, for his healing, and for his wholeness. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, help him through what he is going through. And God, we pray that there would be a miracle there that would point to you, that it would testify and be for your glory. But God, your will be done. Please be with Dave. Lord, we thank you that the dog was found and we pray that the dog won't get out. You care about those things. God, we lift up Caleb's dad. You know the rocky road. You know the, all the years. And you know how physical struggle and mental struggle can lead to addiction and it needs divine deliverance. It can lead to health problems. God, God, you can heal. I pray most of all, God, that you would draw him closer to you right now. That he turn to you and just realize you love him and you've loved him all along. That you can set him free. God, please work there. Lord, we lift up Dorothy. Say a cat has nine lives, she's got to have at least 12. She means a lot to the family, God. We thank you for how you've allowed her to make it through trial and trips to the hospital. God, just watch over her. May she know you even more in these days. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with her all the way to the end and be with the family. Lord, we pray that for her health. And so, Lord God, thank you for hearing our prayers today. It's so good to turn to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
Caleb, I went through rehab more than a couple times. And God's faithful. He can do it. All right, guys, buckle your seatbelts. Vern's going to take us for a ride on this next song. <laughs> this is the way I learned this song. It may be different than the way you've always heard it. But rock and roll is forever. <laughs> Sing it loud. But it's the same chord. <laughs> we all know that one. Yeah, hey. Lord of eternity, mystery behind the veil. Lord over heaven and earth, God of Israel. Come with your wisdom and power. Pastor Rod is going to come and we're going to sing a hymn.
And if you didn't know Pastor Rod could play the uh, piano, he plays it better than I do. <laughs> well, that's where I learned it from. And then uh, if you'll tell Brian what key you're playing, I bet you he'll pick, uh, he'll figure it out even if you don't. But we're going to sing the song Victory in Jesus. And if you need to stretch, stand up. If you don't, you can stay seated. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory.
the men's retreat this weekend. I was reminded that uh, <laughs> once upon a time I was pastoring a church and they sat me down. And they said, okay, Tim, we don't care what you do during the worship service, except you need to make sure there are two hymns. Anyway, times, times. So we're going to dismiss the kids to kid zone. We're going to get this set up here. I want to invite you guys also out to Alpha on Tuesday night at the Colton Cafe at 6.30. Our kids club. There's going to be a meeting after church next Sunday, the 3rd, to talk about our kids club, which is starting out at Colton Elementary on Thursdays, every Thursday, starting March 7th. Also, Good Friday is coming up, the last Friday in the month of March, and we're going to have our Good Friday fish fry. Alan and Dan are going to make sure there's plenty of fish. We're going to serve it up, Lord willing, down at the Colton Fire Station, and then Resurrection Sunday. Mark your calendars, the last Sunday in March. At this time, Pastor Rod is going to come and bring this morning's message. We've been uh, going through the book of James, and uh, several weeks ago we looked at James chapter 1 and verse 1. James, not a servant of God, it's the word for slave. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we noted that in Scripture, all God's people are called slaves. Uh, we are to do the bidding of our master. Then the second week we looked at uh, some days are diamonds and some days are stones. And sometimes the hard times don't leave us alone. And we looked at James chapter 1 and verse 2 where it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And you let perseverance have its perfect work, that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then uh, last Lord's Day, we looked at the doctrine of perseverance from James chapter 1 and verse 12, where it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he is approved, when he uh, stands before God, is what it's talking about at the judgment, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised all those who love Him. And then today we want to look at the next paragraph in the section of James chapter 1, verses uh, 13 to 18. Heavenly Father, we pray that You might quiet our hearts and give us ears attentive to Your Spirit's voice as we read and study the Scripture. And we would pray, Lord, that the the Word of God would apply to each of our lives, each of our hearts. We might ask you, what do you want us to learn from this? So that we can go our separate ways, putting the Word of God into practice in our daily lives. And we pray, Father, that we might listen with an attitude of submission and listen with an attitude of attentiveness 
and listen with an attitude of humility. Because James also says in James chapter 1 that we need to humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And so may we humbly accept it this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Even from the hallway. Patty, could you turn that light off? It's over there in the corner. Maybe... He has a new name. Your name's Patty now. <laughs> He's a beautiful Patty. He is. Irish. Oh. No. The one against the wall. There we go. Uh, and then the one in that. Yeah. That's great. Nope. Yep. Thank you, Bill. I have to call you Billy Patty now. <laughs> In James chapter 1, um, verses 13 to 18, James starts out with these words. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, I don't like to do this uh, normally, but I want to point something out here, and that is there's probably a better translation of this verse than what is up there on your screen. It's a challenge for translators because the word for tempted and the word for testing or trial is the same Greek word. And so you have to determine how to translate it based on its context. And in James chapter 1 verse 13, you find the word tempting and tempted. It's the same Greek word. So the translators had to decide, okay, what's the context? Is he talking about external adversities, testing? Should we translate it testing in both cases here? Or should we translate it tempted in both cases here, as is done in the Niv? Or is one word to be translated tested and the other word to be translated tempted. Those are their three options. Every translation that I looked up this last week translates it tempted and tempted, except one. And I think they're right. <clears throat> because the first 12 verses of James chapter 1 talks about testing external adversities, trials. And verse 13 transitions now into temptation. And so one translation, which is, happens to be the Christian Standard Bible, puts it like this. No one undergoing a trial 
should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. And I think that's right. Because every trial can turn into a temptation depending upon the attitude of your heart towards that trial. So in this case, I'm going to put up an alternative translation than the 1984 NIV because I think they do a better job. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And he chose to give us birth to the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Who do you blame for your temptation? Who do you blame for your sin? Who do you blame for your lust? Who do you blame for your foul mouth? Who do you blame for your hot temper? Who do you blame for your arrogance? Who do you blame for your complaining spirit? Who do you blame for your envy and jealousy? Who do you blame for your sin? Sin is a failure to do what God requires or any transgression of His law. Sin is asserting my will above God's will and rationalizing away my actions, finding reasons to excuse what I know is wrong. That's sin. But temptation, on the other hand, is that enticement to sin. Temptation is an enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. Temptation is that enticement to have my legitimate needs met, but through the resources of the world and the flesh and the devil instead of the resources of God. Temptation is an invitation to live independently of God. It's my declaration of independence. And temptation is a solicitation, a seduction, or an allurement to do that which is sinful. 
And temptation, as you well know, is the common experience of every child of God. It has no limits. It respects no life. It has no favorites. It care, cares nothing about the time or place. Now, to be tempted is not to sin. Because Jesus, the sinless Son of God, was tempted. But he was tempted without sin. But to yield to the temptation, that's where the sin begins. The thoughts only become sinful when they're fixed upon and when they are toyed with and when we fantasize with those thoughts or then we actually act out those thoughts or those words or those deeds. So the sin is not seeing the bait on the hook. The sin is taking the bait. Sin to sin is to be tempted and then yielding to that temptation. Seeing the bait is not sin. It's taking the bait. And whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, you are being tempted every day to transgress the good, holy, pure law of God. You may be tempted to sin in your thoughts. You may be tempted to sin with your words. You may be tempted to sin in your actions and deeds. But the fact is that everyone, everyone is tempted. Neil Anderson, in his book, The Bondage Breaker, makes some great observations. Listen to this. He says, the power of temptation depends on the strength of the strongholds which have been developed in our minds as we learned to live independently of God. For example, if you were raised in a Christian home where dirty magazines and television of questionable moral values were not allowed, then the power of sensual temptations in your life will not be as great as for someone who grew up exposed to pornographic literature. Why? Because your legitimate need to be loved and accepted was met by caring parents who also protected you from exposure to the illegitimate means of establishing your identity and worth. The person who grew up in an environment of immorality and sexual permissiveness will experience a greater struggle with sexual temptation after he becomes a Christian simply because that stronghold was well established before he was born again. And so we're all tempted. We may not be tempted in the same areas. And we may not be tempted with the same force or the same pull 
And we may not be tempted for the same reasons, but we will all be tempted to transgress the will of God. Ovid, the Roman poet, who is by no means a believer, wrote, I see the better course and I approve of it, but I follow the worse. Ovid, a non-Christian, knew, knew something of the inclination to sin. An early Christian writer of the first century suggested that even when we were saved, our baptism did not drown our flesh. And by saying that, he is a Christian, revealed that even those individuals who have been born again and possess the Holy Spirit of God know all too well the pull of temptation and the struggle that sometimes we have with particular sins. So trials come to make us strong. James chapter 1 verses 1 to 12. But temptations come to make us sin. James chapter 1 verses 13 to 18. And both trials and temptations, says James, are the common experience of every man and every woman. Every day, everyone is tempted to step beyond the boundaries that God has established. You are tempted, I'm tempted. But how we as God's people respond to the temptation should not be the same as that of the world. We should fight it, we should resist it. So, what's your response when tempted? Who do you blame for your temptation and your sin? Well, as you know, some people blame the devil. The devil made me do it. At least that's what they think. But the devil did not make you do it. You did it. Uh, you can't blame the devil for your yielding to temptation and sin. The devil can harass you. The devil can fight you. The devil can tempt you. But the devil cannot make you sin. The same book of James in James chapter 4 says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You can overcome the temptation of the devil. Somewhere along the line, you gave the devil a foothold. And he merely took advantage of the opportunity that you gave him. When God confronted Eve about her sin in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember what Eve said? She said, God, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Uh, the devil made me do it, Lord. No, no, Eve, the devil did not make you do it. But some people blame the devil. Uh, some people blame their family. When God confronted Adam in Genesis chapter 3, you remember what Adam said. Adam said, Lord, 
the woman that you placed here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's very common for us to blame the members of our family. Uh, Lord, if you had all those kids pulling at your pant legs all day, then you'd understand why I'm a bit impatient here. Or if you knew my parents, if you knew my dad, if you know how I was raised, then you'd understand why my life's all screwed up. Or, I know that I'm always angry and I harbor bitterness, but who wouldn't marry to that spouse I'm married to? But those can become excuses for your sin. Members of your family can make your life very difficult. That's true. They can increase your problems. They could have helped you more than they did. But we can't blame them for our sin. That's a choice we make. That, that, that sin is something that we choose to do. And so you really can't justly blame members of your family for your sin. Some blame their so-called friends. I couldn't say no. All my friends were doing it. Some people blame their circumstances. If I wasn't in such a poor situation, I wouldn't have stolen that from the store. It's, it's the blame game, and it comes quite naturally for some of us. Some people blame the devil. It's not me. The devil made me do it. Some people blame their family. It's not me. It's my parents' fault. Some people blame their friends. Some people blame their circumstances. Some people blame their karma. It's not me. It's my karma. It's my psychic destiny. Some people blame the boss at work. All those, it's all called victimization. We're victims of our situation. And so we're not responsible. Others are responsible for my response. But victimization is well, it's sin without guilt and sin without responsibility. But then there are some people in the first century, and there are some people today in the 21st century, if you think about it, will actually say, it's not me. It's God. God you made me this way. God, you made me with these desires. God, I cannot deny myself. I've got to be true to myself. I have to just be me. God, you made me this way. 
That's what the poet Robert Burns felt when he wrote these words. Thou knowest that thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong, and listening to their witching voices has led, often led me wrong. Well, Robert Burns was just blaming God for his sin. God is ultimately responsible for my sin. God, you made me this way. Some people blame God in a different way. They are the theologians who say that God, as sovereign, has foreordained every event that has come into your life. That God has prescribed every action, every deed, every circumstance. Every rotten circumstance that's come into your life has been preordained, prescribed, foreordained by God. And so they say, Lord, it's your fault. I mean, they don't say that out loud. But it's the natural result of their theology. I'm angry, I'm bitter, and all this is God's fault. That's not good theology. So some people, consciously or unconsciously, want to blame God for their temptation and their spiritual struggles and the resulting sin. But it is never, ever right. It's never right to blame God for sin. We must learn to take responsibility, as the scripture says, for our sin. That's how he came to Christ, wasn't it? You recognized your sin and your need of a Savior. And you called out to God to save you through Christ, his son, who died for you. You took responsibility for your sin at that point. Now you need to continue to do that to live the Christian life. You take responsibility for sin. You don't do this blame game stuff. And apparently there were those in James's audience who were blaming God for their temptations, blaming God for their resultant sin, calling God's goodness into question, but James responds by saying that God is never, ever responsible for individuals' sin. God is not responsible for tempting you. He doesn't whisper evil thoughts into your minds. He doesn't create alluring mental images in your heart. He is never, ever responsible for your sin. God never tempts you to do evil. God never puts evil in your path. And James gave two reasons why that's true. And the first reason is found in verses 13 through 15. He talks about temptation in the nature of man. And he says, no one Undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil and 
he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed, and then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Why is it that you can never legitimately blame God for your temptation and sin? Because the root of temptation is not to be found with God. It is to be found within our hearts. We're the problem. It's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. Because I have, even as a believer, these evil desires that seem to, to battle in my soul. So the source of temptation is to be found within us and our sinful nature. All of us have this, this inclination towards sin, what theologians call a propensity toward evil. Dwight L. Moody said, I, I think I have more trouble with myself than with any other man that I've ever known. I agree with that. My problem is not with people as much as it is with myself. The, the source of blame in any temptation is not to be found outside of me, it's to be found within me. And when the, the nature of every man is revealed, often sin comes out. And even though we've been redeemed and, and have been made new within, each one is tempted by his own evil desire. And that's where the blame lies for temptation and sin. The root of our temptation and our sin problem is our own evil desires. And so we should never be surprised by this, as was the priest who went into the confession booth with a senior priest for the very, very first time to hear his confession from another Catholic parishioner. And at the end of the day, the old priest took the young priest aside and he said, my boy, when a person finishes with their confession, you have to learn to say something other than Wow. <laughs> Note the fourfold progression of temptation. It starts with our own evil desire. Each one is tempted one by his own evil desire. Desire is an emotion. So temptation begins with a feeling, a feeling of wanting to have something or wanting to do something that is wrong, begins with desire, and desire leads to deception. It says, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. 
First the desire, the emotion, and then deception. And deception has to do with the mind. You start with desiring your emotions, and that leads to deception in your mind. And you begin to be deceived in your mind by thinking how good this would be to do. How fulfilling it would be for me to say this. And you try to justify yourself, but it's deception. As George Eliot said, nothing is so good as it seems beforehand. And how, how true that is with the deception of sin. It looks good. That action seems to be right. Those words need to be said. But often it's deception. Verse 14, it says, By our own evil desires we are dragged away and enticed. In the original language in which James was written, the words dragged away were hunting words. They were words used of animals that were, that were being trapped. They were taken from a place of safety into a trap and then they would be dragged away. So dragged away means to be lured into a trap to be caught and then taken away. And the word enticed was a fishing term. It means to bait a hook and catch. And so animals and fish are caught, trapped, because the bait is disguised with a good look. So it's sin. It's the same thing. It looks good initially, but it is not good ultimately. It looks inviting and it looks alluring, but instead of the anticipated pleasure, when you grab it and you take the bait and you're captured, it leads to death. But, but, but the bait looks so good. And so it is with sin and temptation. It promises pleasure. It promises satisfaction. It promises immediate gratification. It promises relief and freedom and reward. But it never delivers. It never delivers. It's, it's only pleasurable for a little while. But then comes the hurt. Then comes the pain. Then comes the guilt. Then comes the regret. Why can't we learn that? And what is it that pulls us so strongly to the bait? Is it God? Is it Satan? No. It's our own evil desires. The world may bait the hook. Satan may bait the hook. Other people may bait the hook. But what actually is it that pulls us in? It's our own evil desires. Our desires that have been deceived into thinking that it's good for us if we do this, or if we say this, or if we think this. 
But after the initial pleasure comes the eventual gnawing pain and defeat. So the evil desires of my emotions leads to the deception in my mind, but if left unchecked, it leads to disobedience then in my will. And so my emotions and my intellect and my will are all involved in the process of temptation and yielding to sin. And desire and deception and disobedience, James says, leads to death. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Well, what kind of death? Well, some say it refers to a death existence. That is, the sense of weariness, the sense of weakness, the sense of discouragement, a sense of failure, a sense of misery, a death existence. But then others see death in this passage, not referring to a death existence, but to eternal death, to the second death, to the death of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So death in Romans 6.23 is the opposite of eternal life. It's death, spiritual eternal death. Some say it's the death of Revelation 21 and verse 8 that says, For the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so the idea is that just as persistence and faith in God during a time of trial leads to the crown of life, James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, so persistence in sin leads ultimately to eternal death, the second death. So those are the two views. Now, personally, I hold to the second view. I think death in the book of James is pretty clearly referring to the second death when you read the whole book. So the process is something like this. You sow a thought, you reap a word and you sow a word and you reap an action. You sow an action, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. And you sow a character and you reap a destiny. And if you continue to sow sin, apart from a repentant, humble heart before God, it's going to lead to eternal death. Your lifestyle demonstrates your spiritual condition. And sin will lead you to the second death. Sin is nothing but turning from God's good face. And having turned it thus, 
you've turned toward death. And so the reason we have no right to blame God for our temptation and sins is because of the nature of man. We have an inclination toward sin. We have evil desires within us and temptation and sin do not stem from the heart of God. Temptation and sin stem from our own evil desires. So if you need to blame someone for your own sin, look in the mirror. That's where you find it, right there. But there's a second reason, James says, that God cannot be the source of temptation and sin. And it has to do with temptation and the nature of God. Remember when he said in verse 13, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. In other words, God's holy. God is absolutely pure. God, by his holy nature, cannot be tempted to sin, and he has no capability whatsoever to tempt anyone else to sin. He is so pure, so unsusceptible to evil. He's untemptable. He has no experience in evil. He has no capacity for evil. He has no vulnerability to evil. Evil repulses him. Evil can find no place in God's holy character. It is a moral, uh, moral impossibility for God to tempt you. The temptations in no way, shape, or form are coming from a holy God. In Leviticus 19, we're told that the Lord is holy. In Leviticus 20 and verse 28, the Lord says, I am holy. In Joshua 24 and verse 19, it says that God is a holy God. And on and on and on you go through scripture. God is absolutely holy. He cannot tempt you. You don't blame him. You remember what Job said when he was going through all this loss and pain in his life? Job's chapter 1 says, And Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job was right. Job was righteous. Job was wise. He didn't blame God. And yet how many times have I heard people say to me, Why did God do this to me? As if God were somehow guilty of sin? Of guilty of wrongdoing? of guilty, of injustice. It's impossible because God is absolutely holy. He cannot be vulnerable to sin and he cannot tempt you by evil. It's impossible. He has never solicited you to do evil. Never. And so when tempted, no one should malign the holy character of God. 
No one should ever even think of defaming God's character. It'd be sin to do so. It's a slanderous accusation. Because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Why have we no right to blame God for our temptation and sin? Because God is holy. But he gives us that second reason. He says, the second reason is because God's good. God is good. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything good that you have experienced in your life, you know why you've experienced it? Because God's good. Everything. He starts out by saying, don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourselves. God would not tempt you to sin, but only good comes from his nature. You've heard, the pe you've heard people say, you know, well, he's up to no good. I'd never be a son of God. With God, you have to say he's up to good. And he's only up to good. God is good. Look at the good things in your life. God gives you the good gift of sleep. That's a good thing. But sinful men misuse the good gift of God and become sluggish and sluggards and lazy. They misuse God's good gift of sleep. God gives the good gift of clothing to cover our bodies, to keep us warm. But some people use clothes as a, a consuming passion. It's almost their God. They, they overemphasize clothes in their lives. It's an obsession where they're so what, enamored by the satisfaction of looking a certain way. And, and their clothes become a God. God gives a good gift of, of love and wicked men pervert it into lust. God gives a good gift of recreation and men turn it into a lover of pleasure rather than a lover of God. God gives good gifts all the time, but men seem to pervert them. God gives a, <clears throat> excuse me, the good gift of self-respect and we turn it into conceit. God gives the good gift of skill, ability. Do you realize each one of you has a strength that God has given you, a skill that no, none of us here can duplicate? In that sense, you are special before God, one of a kind. But what do people do? 
they turn it into pride. It's their arrogance. Look what I can do. Well, the only reason you can do that is God gives you that ability, that skill. God gives a good gift of communication. But we use it to, to gossip, to slander. God gives the gift of anger and injustice. And we turn it into rage and bitterness, to vengeance and self-righteousness. God gives the, the good gift of wise judgment and discernment. But what do we do with it? Well, we make a wise judgment and we have biblical discernment and then we turn it into crass criticism about other people and the way they do things. The critical spirit. See, God gives good gifts. Somebody wrote, back of the bread is the snowy flour and back of the flour the mill and back of the mill is the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's goodwill. Every good gift that you enjoy comes from the good hand of God. And the greatest gift of all, he, he says in verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That's a good gift. It's the greatest gift of all, to become a child of the King, to have your sins forgiven, to be declared righteous in God's sight, to be adopted into his family so that you become his son or daughter. That's a good gift. So God is holy and, and God is good. And God is immutable. That means he doesn't change. He doesn't change. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change by shifting shadows. Don't, don't read too fast past that. God doesn't change. That means he's, he's holy and he's always going to be holy. He's good and he's always going to be good. What he was a thousand years ago, he is today. And he will be tomorrow. So God never tempts you to sin. And he will never tempt you to sin. He'll never have a situation in your life where he'll try to trick you, deceive you, entice you to do evil. He was holy. He's still holy. He will be holy. He was good. He is good. He will always be good. God is holy. God is good. God is immutable. He has been. He is now. He always will be holy and good. And in view of a God like that, how can anyone blame God for their sin? God is the, the store of good gifts. But too many times, we as the uh, prodigal son and daughter, we wander off and we reject the goodness of our God and replace it with the temptation 
and sin of our own evil desires. So, who do you blame for your sin? Don't blame people. Don't blame your circumstances. Don't blame Satan. Take responsibility. If you're struggling spiritually in your life, it's because of your own evil desire. And you need to repent of that. And you need to confess that to God. And you need to ask God to give you the ability to do that which you cannot do on your own, and that is to lead a godly, holy, sanctified Christian life. You can't blame God because He is holy, He is good, He is immutable. You only need to blame yourself and take responsibility for your actions because the problem is with you. The problem is with me. We can only blame our own evil desires for our temptation and our sin. I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life, old and Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning Then I repented and won the victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due he plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about His healing, of His cleansing power revealing. How He made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion He has built for me in glory. And I heard about the 
responsibility for our sin because we'll never really grow spiritually if we blame people and blame circumstances and blame everyone else including you we'll only grow when we take responsibility for our sin and then we can face it for what it really is a sin weakness in our hearts by our caused by our own evil desires. But you de your desire is to change us, to make us more and more and more like Christ. And when we fail to get up and to keep on trusting you and keep on calling out for you for forgiveness, and the enabling strength to do that which is righteous. So Father, we praise you for your good gifts to us. We praise you because you are the holy God. As it says in Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Thank you for being not only the holy God that you are, but our Father. And we praise you for what you've done for us through your son. You gave Jesus because you loved us. And you want goodness to follow us all the days of our lives. And goodness can only follow us if we place our lives under your protective care. So Father, thank you for your word. May we do something with it this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.